0: So we see that from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 and then read just through verse 9. So let's draw attention to the word of the Lord. And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God so I've provided for the house of my God so far as I was able the gold for the things of gold the silver for the things of silver and the bronze for the things of bronze the iron for the things of iron and wood for the things of wood besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting antimony colored stones all sorts of precious stones and marble moreover in addition to all that I have provided for the Holy House, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver, and because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house, and for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold and silver for the things of of silver who then who then will offer willingly consecrating himself today to the Lord then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings as did also the leaders of the tribes the commanders of thousands and of hundreds and the officers over the king's work they gave for the service of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, with a whole heart, they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. I want you to think about this (laughs) really what did the Israelites have after they left Egypt remember they were in Egypt for 430 years enslaved oppressed people they didn't have nothing And when they left Egypt, of course, they left with some of the riches of Egypt. That is true. And then they went through the difficulty of 40 years of wilderness wandering, finally entering into the Promised Land, going through various battles in order to achieve victory, at least mostly victory, in the Promised Land. And then they came into their own. They became a nation, and their first king was Saul, not a good king, but then followed by David. Some years had transpired, but we wouldn't say that the people of God were particularly wealthy although they had gained wealth over the years but look at what they give here 5,000 talents 10,000 derricks gold 10,000 talents of silver 18,000 talents of bronze 100,000 talents of iron precious stone quality wood I mean that's called generosity with that in mind let me ask you a simple question this morning when that and I don't know how you give but when that offering bag started going down the roads and it came to you or maybe you know you're like like joy and myself we don't always give so much sometimes not at all in the offering bag but we choose to give online there's a lot of you like that so whether you give online or whether you put money in the offering bag what was going on in your head and what was going on in your heart when you did that what was going on in your head did you did you as, let's say with the offering bag when you put some some cash or coins or whatever in the offering bag. Were you were you thinking about what you're doing, or did you kind of go on, which is easy to do, automatic pilot? Because this is something we do every week. And what was going on in your heart when you when you put money in that offering bag? Do you, do you do you give? I mean, really joyfully, and you think this is great. I have the opportunity to give to Pathway or some Kingdom cause that Pathway supports. Or, honestly, when you search your heart, again, when you give in the offering bag or online, you kind of go, you know, this week was kind of tight or it's been kind of tight lately and I really could have used that funds for something else. Especially what goes on in your heart. The reason why I ask that is because this passage really deals with the heart of, of giving. And when you look at the way that the people of God at this time... Gave, You see that they, they, they gave, and the, and the words that are used here in the passage are joyfully, freely, willingly, and generously. That's how they gave. And you know what? That's how we're supposed to give. Nothing's changed in that regard. That's how we're supposed to give. And you know what? I'm convinced that's the way we will give if we dig into this passage and we let this passage resonate resonate within us okay so let's go take a look at the passage first Chronicles chapter 29 that's a chapter in and uh, first Chronicles chapter 29 a lot could be said here but I'll kinda of whittle it down it, it revolves around David's plan to build a temple temple's essential place of worship right for God's people at that time now If if you know the Bible somewhat, you know your history somewhat, you know that before the temple, the people of God were worshiping at a place as well. It was called the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was like a portable tent. It was a portable place of worship. So that when the people of God left their 430 years of slavery in Egypt and, and, and were on the way to the promised land, they set up a tabernacle whose design for worship came from God himself. And God says, this is how I want the tabernacle built, and this is how I want you to worship me, and and on. God was very specific about that. So they worshiped in this portable tabernacle, and everywhere where the Shekinah glory cloud, which represented the Lord, would move in the wilderness, that's where the Israelites had to move, and they would take that tabernacle with them. But when they came to their own, so to speak, and they went into the promised land and they became a nation, they needed not a temporary place of worship which represented their restlessness and their restless wandering in the wilderness. But now that they were settled in the land of rest, the promised land, God said, you need a temple, or a permanent place of worship called the temple, the house of God. So now is the time... Now, if they're in the nation and they develop as a nation, they have their own king, it's time for that permanent temple. So David has plans to build that temple. Now, if, if you were raised in the Christian faith and you know some of the stories of the Bible, you'll know this. But in case you don't, God said to David, I know you want to build that temple, but you're not going to be the one to build that temple. Actually, your son Solomon's going to build the temple. And God told David the reason for that. David, or God said to David, You're not going to build that temple because you are a man of war. You are a man of bloodshed. And I want a man of peace to build that temple. Now, we could say, well, listen, the temple was filled with all these sacrifices. So the priest daily would have to offer sacrifice to animals for the sake of the people so that their sins could be covered and they could be in right fellowship with God. So you think David would be exactly the kind of person that God would say, I want you to build that temple. The temple's a place of blood and blood sacrifices, and you're, man that bl- and you're that man of blood. But God said, no. The temple's a place of blood, but I want a man of peace. Your son Solomon, Sholomo, Hebrew. At the root of that is the word shalom, meaning peace. And the reason for that is because though much blood was shed in the temple... God said, it's through that blood of the animals that you offer for your sins that ultimately brings you into peace and fellowship with me. That was going to be the, uh, the emphasis of the temple. Peace, fellowship, shalom. All pointing forward, of course, to Jesus who would come on the scene, who would be the once and for all final sacrifice for sin so that when we embrace Jesus, we come into fellowship and peace with God. There's no more beautiful message for the whole world and for us than that so moving on God says okay Solomon's gonna be the one to build the temple and that by the way was gonna be a huge undertaking is we're gonna require a lot a lot of materials a lot of muscle is gonna require gold and silver and bronze and precious stones and quality wood and not only that but manpower muscle so, kids, when you think of the building of the temple, it's going to require a lot of this, it's going to require a lot of muscle, but it's also going to require a lot of this. A lot of giving from the people. So, you step back from this for just a moment, and you say to yourself, huh, I wonder how that's going to go. The challenge is before the people. Are they going to give or are they not? Are they going to step up to the plate or are they not going to step up to the plate? Well, when you look at the passage, right, that's exactly what they did. They stepped up to the plate and they gave, beginning with David. All right, it's the passage up there. Take a look at that, or if you have your Bible, go to verse 1. And David the king said to all the assembly Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great. Now, notice this for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. Notice he doesn't even mention the temple here. It's He mentions palace. Why the palace? Because the temple basically is the palace of God himself. He's the almighty sovereign king over the heavens and the earth. So when David mentions the palace there, he's mentioning the temple. Verse 2. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, and bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, Wood for the things of wood. Notice all that goes into the temple. Besides great qualities of onyx, kids, what, what, you look at onyx, what in the world is onyx? Probably a number of adults here are going like, "What's onyx? Onyx is a, just a, a beautiful, shiny black stone. And stones for setting, Antimony, which is it's, 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 it's difficult to translate, likely referring to, stones, different stones of a brilliant color. Then we have other colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided... Now, notice in verse 3 and following, the first person singular, I. David doesn't say we as God's people. This is what we're giving, but David begins with himself. He says, I. Now, notice the language here carefully. Moreover, in addition to all I have provided for the holy house... I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver and because of my devotion to the house of God I give it to the house of my God now notice what he gives 3,000 talents of gold the gold of Ophir 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house and for all the work to be done by craftsmen gold for the things of gold silver for the things of silver he mentions all of what he's going to give and then David gives this challenge who then will offer willingly consecrating himself that is setting himself apart for this work or literally in the Hebrew who here is willing to fill his hands and give generously for this work okay that's the challenge now what's fascinating in this passage is that David puts himself forward first David just doesn't lay out the plans for the temple and then say, okay, my son Solomon's going to build it, and we need this and this and this and this. So cough it up, people. Cough it up. David begins with himself. He says, this is what I'm going to give. Just to let you know, this is what I'm going to give. What do we learn from this? What we learn is that giving, at least in this case, and we could say probably is a good idea today as well. Giving begins at the top and should trickle down to that which is below. So what we see in this passage, and I'll make an application here just a moment. So what we see in the passage is that David gives, and then if you look at verse 6 and following, then we read the leaders of the fathers' houses made their offerings, and then the leaders of the tribes followed that, and then we have the various junior officers over the king's work, and then finally in verse 9, we read, then the people also gave as well. So we we have this kind of trickle-down effect. David, leaders, commanders, junior officers, and then the people. What's the point? The point is is that true giving in every church needs to begin with the ordained leadership, so that the people themselves, the congregation, can be can be encouraged to give. You remember, if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, I told the story. All right, I told the story of how. Uh, In terms of tithing, remember I told you a story about when Joy and I were in seminary and making like $9,000 a year, and we said, you know what, Uh, we don't have much, but what we're going to do is um, we're just going to commit to tithing and to just trust that the Lord's going to continue to provide for all our needs, and he did. Now, I didn't mention that just to say, well, how righteous we were, but just to kind of give an example of the commitment that we made, and that when we came to Pathway, we said we're going to do what we did in every church. We are going to tithe and trust that the Lord's provides, and we just do that. It doesn't help me to preach what I'm preaching right now unless you know that I stand behind the word by what we have chosen to do as a husband and wife with the kids out of the house now. I want to speak to the elders and I want to speak to the deacons. Brothers, we cannot expect and we cannot pray for our own people to give unless we ourselves are giving. Now, they may not know what we give, but you know who does, right? It's the Lord. So I would would challenge us as elders and deacons to give, to give generously. And although the New Testament does not require it, it's hard to give less than a tithe. I want to challenge elders, give the tithe. Deacons, give the tithe. Pastor, you give the tithe. And when we do that, the Lord notices that, and then the Lord will bless that. And if we all tithe together, I guarantee we will never. Never have any issues with our budget. We won't. God will bless that. Okay? We need to move on. Because what I really want you to focus on is verse 9, which gets at not so much, so much how much we are to give, but how we are to give in terms of our attitude, in terms of our spirit. Look at verse 9. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly with a whole heart. Uh, they offered freely to the Lord. With a whole heart they offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. So David gives, the junior officers give, the people give, David notices that, and that brings great joy to him. Notice how the people gave, with what kind of attitude. They gave freely, they gave willingly, they gave joyfully, and they gave generously. Okay? Let's break that down quickly. First of all, the people gave joyfully. When you give, whether online or in that offering bag, does that, does that bring you joy? You go, what a privilege it is to give to the Lord. Do you give joyfully? Because you know what happens when you give joyfully? Not only do you give joyfully, but you actually receive joy. You can give with joy, but when you do that, you actually receive joy. Isn't that true? Like, for instance, doesn't it bring, us, doesn't it bring you joy? doesn't it bring us all joy when, when we give of our offerings or online or however we give it, and then we see where that goes and how it helps. So there, there are missionaries who, with their wives. Sometimes they're little kids, and they're in Mexico or there's some other land or they're maybe in South America somewhere, and they need the funds. And to hear the reports of what's going on in the mission field, you go, yes, I contributed to that. Or maybe it's mercy ministry of some kind or parachurch organization like Archway and the work that they are doing, especially among the refugee committee. Or even the funds that we put forward, whether it be this cash or whether it be materials that we buy or materials extra that we have in our home and we give, and then we realize how much that blesses the refugees, the immigrants who come to this, who come to this land. We can give with joy, and when we do, we also receive joy. And, and also just a related thing before we move on. Shouldn't we celebrate that? Shouldn't we re- celebrate how the Lord is using the funds that we give for the benefit and the blessing of others, whether it be each other here, giving for causes here, whether it be those of the city of Abbotsford or beyond? Should we not celebrate that? and isn't that a wonderful testimony if we would celebrate that and we would report on that before the services or after or during wouldn't that bring us great joy to hear what's going on and how we're being a blessing to others? Would you put up the quote by uh, Tim Keller? He makes this point. Tim Keller makes this point. He said, you know, for many outsiders and inquirers, these are people outside the faith, the deeds of the church will will be far more important than words in gaining plausibility. Worship services should highlight offerings for deed ministry and celebrate by giving reports, stories of those who were helped, and prayers. This brings before the non-Christian the impact of the gospel on church members' hearts. You know, uh, people are outside of Christ. If they come to Pathway, hopefully they're not only affected by the preaching, but when we share actually the work that is being done in us and through us for the sake of others, Keller says that, that helps gain for them plausibility. The Christian faith becomes plausible to them. That means it becomes real to them and credible to them. We should remember that. Reports are in, uh, important, right? But let's move on. Not only did the people give uh, joyfully, but they gave freely and willingly. You know what that means? It means that they didn't, um, they didn't give under compulsion because they had to. The Apostle Paul speaks about that in 2 Corinthians 9, which we looked at in the last sermon. I'm not going to get into that now, but it's really almost a carbon copy of what we have here in this passage. So the truth of this Old Testament passage carries over into the New. God's people give best when they they do not give begrudgingly or under compulsion, but because, you know what, they just give freely and because they really, really want to. Is that how you give? You really want to, and then finally, this we see in this passage that God's people gave generously. They gave generously, and and we see some specifics on that, don't we? Right, all these thousands of this and thousands of that. I mean, they they dug deep in their pockets because they wanted to. And here here's a little bit of a side. You don't have a hap- You don't have to have a lot to give generously. You know, if if you were if you were sitting in, in sitting down and that offering bag was going by you, what would you think if let's say just there was this woman or this guy, and they had a wad of bills, and we're not talking fives or tens; these are hundred dollar bills. You, and you notice what they put in that offering bag, and it's a wad like that, it's all rolled up with a couple rubber bands about it, and they they dump it in the offering bag, and it goes into your hand, and you just feel the weight of it. I mean, there's that much cash, right? Not the jiggle of a few coins, that much cash, $100 bills, like, you'd be thinking, wow, (laughs) it gave a lot, that's generous. Yeah, but if they're making a mill or two a year, then percentage-wise, maybe it's not so much. But then that offering bag goes by you again, and you see this old lady put in uh, let's say, like two quarters. You probably think, eh, that's not much. But it might be a lot because she's living on dimes and nickels to make ends meet. See, so you don't have to have a lot to give generously. Let me, let me give you, let me, and, and this really gets at the heart of the matter, let me give you two instances from the Bible where those who had little gave what they could and in the end gave a lot. The widow's might from the from book of Luke. Take a look at that. Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He also saw a poor widow put into the offering box two small copper coins. That's in today's equivalence probably like 25 cents. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow gave more than all of them. The rich contributed out of their abundance, their excess, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Yeah, you know, when that widow gave, she wasn't putting wads of dollar bills. She gave just a few small copper coins. But that, it maybe not be much to a rich guy, but for that widow, that really cut in. Not to her excess, but all she had to live on. You don't think the Lord notices that? And you don't think the Lord blesses that? Let me give you one other example. Uh, Put on the next passage, if you would. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. And then I'm going to explain what's going on here. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, who were who not really giving well, and they had other spiritual problems. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Although they were severely afflicted and extremely poor, they gave joyfully and generously. They gave what they had and beyond what they had, willingly, begging us for the opportunity of taking part in the relief of fellow Christians and that's in reference to Christians in Jerusalem. So here's what's going on. You had a group of Christians in the area called Macedonia, which is in southeastern Europe today. It's around the countries of Greece and, and Turkey. These Macedonians were struggling with two Ps, persecution and poverty. And the two were very linked closely together. Because they were being persecuted, they were impoverished. And what you will find in many lands today, especially in Islamic lands, is that when people... Uh, when people are Christians, and you see this, um, I remember interacting with some uh, Christians from Pakistan, the same thing was happening there, is that because they were Christians, the, the Muslims ensured that they would not get decent jobs, and that they would always remain at the lower strata of society. It's probably what we have going on here with the Macedonians. You see there's a cost, we don't bear much of a cost for being Christian, but there's a huge cost for others in other lands to be Christians. So these Macedonians, they converted to the gospel, they converted to Jesus Christ. As a result, they were being persecuted, economically persecuted, and they were, extre- they were not just poor, they were extremely poor. They had learned about the church in Jerusalem, the mother church. Remember, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, Acts chapter 2. That happened where? In Jerusalem. Many people became Christians. So you had Christians in the capital of Jerusalem. There was a mother church started there. But those Christians, because they were persecuted, were extremely poor. So the Macedonians, who are extremely poor themselves, understand that's the issue in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, how can we give? And so they go to the Apostle Paul, and and the text says they literally begged him. They begged him. It's like, how can we help these Christians in Jerusalem? I mean, talk about a big heart. The Apostle Paul is like, okay, Corinthian church, you who are not giving the way that you should, look at the Macedonians. Let us look at the widow. Let us look at the Macedonians, and let us learn from them not only what it means to give joyfully and willingly and freely but also generously generously and if you think about it when you and i give generously and freely and willingly aren't we really just kind of giving back to god just a small measure of the riches with which he has blessed us because everything comes from God, right? Now, why do I bring that point up? We, didn't, we only read the first nine verses, but I want you to look at these verses that come after verse 9 if you put up the final there. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 14 and 16, David said, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? For all things, he's addressing God here, for all things come from you, Lord, and of what you have given to us, we have given to you. O oh, Lord our God, all the abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and it's all from you. It's all your own. So, so when you and I give, listen, we're only, we're only giving really a small measure of what God has given us. So the opposite side of this is that if we're kind of stingy, we're making excuses like, well I'm 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 kinda like the widow, you know, I'm not really able to give and all that, you know, you hear this all the time. That's a mood issue what you make, whether you make a lot or little. The Lord still calls us to give. And to give willingly and to give just to give generously. And when we do that or when we don't do that, what we're really doing is, well, we saw from Malachi three, we're robbing God. Or we're still, we're kind of giving God a slap in the face. What we're really saying is, Lord, hey, thank you for all that you've given me. And I do, I recognize it comes from your hand, but I'm just going to give back just a little bit. You can almost hear God say, really? Really? God has given us so much. We Listen, you, you and I are rich. You and I are rich. Um when when Joy and I first started the ministry, oh even before the ministry, we worked in Montreal in a harbor ministry, and we got in contact with a lot of immigrants and refugees there. And they were from all over the world. We had we had a guy from China live with us for a couple weeks. He escaped his ship and lived with us. And he I mean, he had nothing, absolutely nothing. And then we worked with immigrants in Toronto, and now we're starting to do that here again with you. And you realize that when immigrants, when refugees come, they I mean, they have so little, almost almost nothing, nothing at all. And most people in the world, over 90% of the people think you and I live in palaces. And you go, wait a minute, I only live in an apartment. Still a palace to them. You and I have freedom. We have money. We make money. You probably say maybe not a lot, but you got a house. You got food. You got clothing. You got that roof over your head. You get to belong to a church. Place of freedom, place of love, place of preaching, all that. How rich are we? We're immensely rich. Above all, we're rich in Christ. Right? We're rich in Christ. Everything everything that we have comes from our Father above. Then the Bible says it's funneled down to us through our mediator, Jesus Christ. So the blessings of God are funneled down to us through Jesus Christ. We are rich in Christ and, and you know what? The Apostle Paul notes that in uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, where he says, You know the grace of the Lord Jesus, that while he was rich, rich in heaven, he became poor, taking on human flesh and dying for us. He who is rich became poor in order that we who are spiritually poor might be made rich. Rich in what? Rich in mercy, rich in forgiveness rich in reconciliation, rich in eternal life. We are wealthy. We are rich. And if that is really true, my friends, if we are that rich, who are we to withhold from God? Or maybe more positively, who are we that we should not want in a response of gratitude to say, thank you, Lord. Here it is. Here it is. I hold nothing back like those who have gone on before us, giving to the temple. So, in the end, may we give like the people of our pastors, willingly, freely, joyfully, generously. And I just want to add this before we close. If you are here this morning, and you are either in the process of inquiring about the Christian faith, Or you would say at this point, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or not, but I am here. You know, when that offering bag goes around, keep what you have. You don't have to put anything in the offering bag. Because you know what we want mostly from you at this point? Not your money. We, God above all, wants your heart. He wants your heart. Offer yourself, offer not your money, offer yourself to him. Repentantly, believingly trustingly, and then become a part of a church or become a part of this body and then grow with us. Indeed, may all of us this morning and may the Lord prompt each of us this morning to give him two things, a repentant heart, but also for walking with the Lord an open hand and a generous hand. And may the Lord give that to us for our joy and above all for the glory of God. Yeah? So these are the two sermons on giving. Think about these things. Okay, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it's really true, Lord. We are rich. We are rich in material possessions, certainly, compared to so many people in the world, but above all, and most importantly, we are rich in Christ. And so, Lord, having heard these things now, May you quicken our hearts and our wills to give back to you generously for all the blessings in Christ that you have bestowed upon us. Lord, grant us that so that, Lord, just not that we can meet our budget, but so that we might be able to see the the various causes for which we give flourish, O Lord, because of our contributions in conjunction with the contributions of other churches in this area. So make us a giving people, O Lord, we pray. Again, for our joy and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.